Hey, this is Michael Scobie. We're so honored that you're tuned into our podcast today. Whether you're part of our Vibrant Church family in person or online, I want to encourage you to connect with us on social media. Just search Vibrant HTX on all social media markets. You can also go to VibrantHTX.com to hear about things going on, connect with a life group, or even get to know some of our pastoral team. We pray this message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you make your next step in following Jesus. Let's jump into the message. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Um, Before I begin today, I want to kind of practice what Pastor Michael preached about last Sunday, and that's honor, and I want to honor him. Um, I don't want to cry at the beginning of my message. (laughs) I act real tough, but like I'm super sensitive, so um, that's just my personality, but man, I love that guy right there. He is not only, in my opinion, a great pastor a great husband, a great father, but he's a great friend. Um, And Theresa and I, we love you and Carmen and your family so much, and I just want to publicly say that. Uh, Man, we we love you, dude. So uh, just get that out of the way, you know, since you preached about honor last week. So I felt like I had to do that. Um, Well, I'm excited about today. I'm excited to be speaking to you. I'm excited about what God has given me. And uh, I want to start out talking about some wars. Um, You know, you've probably heard of the Civil War and the Revolutionary War and the Cold War and the World War I and World War II. And you've heard about all these wars, but there's a war that I don't think that you've heard about. And it happened in the latter part of 1932 in the Campion District of Western Australia, and it is called the Emu War. Or the Great Emu War, and if production can help me out and put an image up there for us. If you didn't know, that's an emu. It is the second largest bird in the world, and it's also a flightless bird. It's the cousin to the ostrich. And in 1932, to address public concern over the number of emus said to be running amok, I love that phrase right there, emus running amok. The Australian Royal Army, by the direction of Sir George Pierce, went to war with the emus in Australia. This is a real thing. I am not making this up. You can Google this. Just don't Google it right now. Google it after my message. Um, Wikipedia says that this was an unsuccessful war. Look at your neighbor and say an unsuccessful war. So I want to give you a little bit of history about what happened here. On the first attempt, local settlers had a plan to herd the emus into an ambush. And to give you context, they said that there was about 20 to 30,000 emus roaming this area in the western part of Australia. And on their first attempt, they tried to get them into a big, large group and The emus noticed this, and the birds split into small groups so that they were more difficult to target. So strike one for the Royal Australian Army. The next significant event was on November 4th. The soldiers had established an ambush ambush near a local dam where more than 1,000 emus were spotted. And 
they were headed towards their, uh, their position, and the gunners this time, these are armed soldiers in the army with machine guns, y'all. They waited until they were very close to the emus to open fire on them because the first time they opened fire on them, they scattered and they were difficult to shoot. Y'all, these are emus. They are trying to kill emus, a flightless bird. And uh, they said that they got up close and they opened fire on them and the gun jammed after only 12 birds were killed and the remainder of them fled before they could be shot. So we got strike two, y'all, by the Royal Australian Army. And by the fourth day of their campaign, army observers noted, and this is in quotations in Wikipedia, that each pack seems to have its own leader now. <laughs> A big plaque plumbed bird which stands fully six feet tall. Y'all, I'm six foot tall. Think about this. Um, it keeps watch while his mates carry out their work of destruction and warns them of our approach. So now the emus are developing tactics and strategies to combat the Royal Australian Army. And so the, the Royal Australian Army's attempt to eradicate the emus was unsuccessful. And they not only did this one time, y'all, they did it twice in the 1930s. And if you go and look, there was actually pushback later on in the years for the Royal Australian Army to go at war against them again, but it was shut down for lack of funding. And, and maybe that's why Australia doesn't mess with anybody today, because they tried to fight the emus and they couldn't even win that war. So why are they going to go fight somebody? But today what I want to talk to you about is pride and humility and, you know, there, there's a meme or, or saying, you know, you had one job. You had one job. Like, if you put the Royal Australian Army and Sir George Pierce up against, you had one job. I think they could be the picture for the end of time. You had one job, bro. Get rid of the emus. And you couldn't do that. You couldn't kill a flightless bird with machine guns and trained soldiers. Talk about humbling. Talk about humbling. I would not want to be part of the Royal Australian Army during the 1930s. I wouldn't want to be Sir George Pierce. I wouldn't want to be anybody that fought an emu and lost. I wouldn't want to be that. Um, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about pride, and it has a lot to say about being humble. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And then James 4 and 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, I experienced this Proverbs 16, 18 verse, unfortunately, very recently. Um, Pastor Michael and I were on the golf course, and uh, we were waiting on Ryan Craiglow and Austin Juno to arrive. And uh, if, you, if you know anything about Ryan, Ryan doesn't know how to tell time. Um, Ryan, if you're watching, I love you. Um, but I'm going to pray for you about that. And we, we were waiting on Ryan to arrive to the golf course. And he was his typical fashion. He was late. And uh, he, he we're texting back and forth, having some playful banner over text. And he says, man, what are you and Pastor doing? Are you already there practicing, trying to beat us? And I said, yeah, man, we're practicing for your beatdown. And Ryan responds with, you know what comes after pride, Pastor Sean? 
And I was like, all right, ditto. I got you there. Yeah, touche, buddy. And he beat us that day. Him and Austin beat us that day. So I experienced Proverbs 16 and 18 in a very real way that day. Um, But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. Today, I want to talk to you about spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. And spiritual pride probably doesn't look or sound or seem the way that you think it would. You know, we think of pride and we think of someone that's arrogant or braggadocious or stuck up or thinks they know it all. But spiritual pride is very different from that. And before we get started, I I have a point that I want to give you. And I would love for you to take notes today, whether you're taking them on your phone or on piece of notepad paper or whatever it is, but I want you to write this down. This is my first point today, and that is you can either be humble or you can be humbled. You can either be humble or you can be humbled. There is no in-between. There is no gray area. You cannot experience one and the other at the same time. You can either be humble or you can be humbled. Um, And I want to make it very clear that I am not up here in a prideful manner going, I have figured this all out and I'm a humble person and I know how to live this way. I feel like that farmer's commercial, you know, it's like we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Like, unfortunately, I've struggled with spiritual pride. I've struggled with some of these issues that I'm gonna be talking about today. And so I'm here to, to help you, to maybe cause you to not slip over some of those roots and fall Uh, of the things that I've been tripped up in. And I want to go to a a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's 1 Samuel 15. And I'm going to be reading a lengthy passage here. And production has already kind of given me a hard time today. And so just bear with me. We're going to read the Bible in church. Oh, my goodness. You know, Um, but it is out of the message version. And I don't know that I've ever read out of the message version, but I just felt like it described how I'm wanting to set this message up so well. And so I'm going to read it and just follow along with me. Please don't fall asleep while I'm reading this and nod off or anything like that. Just wake up. All right, wake up. Uh, but let's jump to 1 Samuel 15, 11 through 23. And we're going to kind of read through this, and I'm going to just go back through it and just very briefly kind of pick it apart how it relates to pride. It says, then God spoke to Samuel and said, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king. He turned his back on me and he refuses to do what I tell him. And y'all, this is not Saul of the New Testament that was persecuting Christians and is later renamed Paul. This is not the same guy. They are different guys. This is King Saul of the Old Testament. Um, He's turned his back on me and he refuses to do what I tell him. Samuel was angry when he heard this. He prayed his anger and disappointment all through the night. And he got up early in the morning to confront Saul, but was told Saul's gone. He went to Carmel to set up a victory monument in his own honor. You see in the pride already? He went to Carmel to set up a victory monument and in his own honor. And then he was headed for Gilgag. By the time Samuel caught up with him, Saul had just finished an act of worship having used Amalekite plunder for burnt offering sacrifices to God. As Samuel came close, Saul called out, God's blessings on you. I accomplished God's plan to the letter. Samuel said, so what is this I'm hearing, this bleeding of sheep, this mooing of cattle? Only some Amalekite loot, said Saul. 
And what you have to understand here is the Amalekite nation were unkind. They were unfriendly. They did not receive the Israelites' people when they were coming out of bondage and slavery. And God says, because you have opposed my people, I will oppose you. And he sends Saul to carry out this order. And Saul says, only some Amalekite loot, said Saul. The soldiers saved back a few of the choice cattle and sheep to offer up in a sacrifice to God. But everything else was destroyed under the holy ban. At this point, Samuel is very frustrated and he says, enough. Let me tell you what God told me last night. Saul says, go ahead, tell me. And Samuel told him, when you started out in this, you were nothing and you knew it. Implying that Saul at one point was humble and did know his position and did know his place and did view his relationship and his title in the right way. Then God put you at the head of Israel and made you king of Israel. Then God sent you off to do this job for him, for you, ordering you go and put those sinners, the Amalekites, under a holy ban. Go to war against them until you have totally wiped them out. So why did you not obey God? Why did you grab all this loot with God's eyes on you all the time? Did you brazenly carry out this evil? Why did you do all this? Saul defended himself and said, what are you talking about? I did obey God. I did the job God set me to do. I brought King Agag and destroyed the Amalekites under the terms of the holy band. And then listen to this. Doesn't he almost sound like a teenager or something right here? So the soldiers saved back a few choice sheep and cattle for the holy band at God, at Gilgad. What's wrong with that? What's the big deal? So we, 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 we went a little off course of what God said. We went a little off script. What's the big deal? Then Samuel said, do you think all God wants are sacrifices? Empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production. Not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in an occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God and his command, he says no to your kingship. I want to break down three things very quickly in that, that, that text. I know it was lengthy, but I want to ask you three questions. And those three questions are, what are you doing your way? that God wants you to do his way. What are you doing your way that God wants you to do his way? Isaiah 55 and eight says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. The second thing I wanna ask you is where is your honor directed? Where is your honor directed? Are you putting your honor in the right place. Pastor Michael did such a great job of speaking on honor last week, and so I'm not going to stay here, but I just want to say this. Misdirected honor will send your life in the wrong direction. Misdirected honor will send your life in the wrong direction. And the last thing I want to ask you, what has pride taken from you? I heard this week a pastor that all of you would know he made a statement. He said, pride is repossessing some of God's promises in your life. Pride is repossessing some of God's promises in your life. 
maybe you speak negatively of other people and you make yourself look better and you think you're doing something for yourself, but everybody sees through it. Maybe you have difficulty celebrating your friends' wins in life, and so you don't celebrate with them. You compare yourself to others, and you think, I could never achieve that, and so you just give up. It's all rooted in pride. I feel like pride can be placed into three categories, and as I go over these categories, you might see yourself in one of them or, or some of them, or you might see yourself in this area or that area. And I just want to ask you today to prayfully consider if it pricks your heart, if it makes you uncomfortable to ask God, hey, if I'm prideful there, will you help me? Help me to be humble. The first area where I feel like pride can manifest itself is control. I want to do it my way. Stubbornness, manipulating, lack of trust in others, and lack of trust in God. Control. The, the second category where I feel like it manifests itself is perfection. And this looks like people-pleasing, critical, judgmental. You try to fix everything. You think you know it all. And the third category is insecurity. And I know this almost seems like an oxymoron. It doesn't seem like they should go together. Insecurity and pride, they, they oppose one another. But I want you to take a, a different look at it today. View it through a, a different lens. Maybe you have a, a low self-esteem. Maybe you're easily offended. You struggle to ask for help because of your issues. You're prideful about it and you're embarrassed and you don't want to ask somebody for help. You have a hard time admitting you're wrong when you're wrong. And you avoid vulnerability because you don't want people to see your flaws. These things are all, they're laced in pride. These are symptoms, but pride is the root cause. It's the issue of our hearts, the issue of our actions and our attitudes and I'd, I'd say it this way, if I was going to title this message, I would title it this, you have an attitude problem. Look at your neighbor and say, you got an attitude problem. Say it with a little bit of attitude. I don't, I don't know about you, but growing up, um, Pastor Sean, quite a, I kind of had a mouth on me. I'd get a little bit smart, Alec. Um, I've still got that mouth. Um, I don't need any amens from this side of the room, um, but I, the Holy Spirit is helping me to have less of a mouth, uh, and I'll just say that. Um, he, he hasn't totally given me healing in that category of my life, but we're working on it, so I'm pressing forward. Um, but Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. And listen here, here's where it gets into this being humble part. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. 
Don't look out for your own interest, but take interest in others too. You must have the same what? Attitude. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I think a lot of us, we don't have a pride problem, really. We have an attitude problem. We don't have the attitude that Christ Jesus had. And let, let's see what Jesus had when it came to his attitude. It says, though he was God, he did not think of himself equally with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. You see how pride takes things from us, but humbleness puts us in places that we really want to be, that we think pride will get us there, and it's totally opposite in God's word and God's way. He humbled himself in obedience to God, and he was placed in the highest honor and gave him a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did that through being humble. And I want to let you know, you can get some things in your life and some blessings in your life not by being prideful, not by doing it your way, not by thinking you know it all, not by you know, not making yourself vulnerable, but by being humble, by being a servant, by thinking of others, by doing it God's way and not doing it your way. Andrew Murray said this, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision of God is all. Augustine of Hippo said this, and this, oh man, this really hit me. We all know the story about the devil and his pride and what it did to him. Took him out of heaven, took him out of that place, took him out of his position. It said it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Pride will change you into a devil. Man, that is strong language. Strong language, but in James 4 and 6, it says God opposes the proud. I don't know about you, but like I have a hard time with life in general. I don't need God opposing me too. <laughs> uh, I shared some of this with Pastor Michael, but we, we went over to my family's for 4th of July weekend, and uh, I just feel like, man, somebody's got a voodoo doll somewhere, and they're just like poking that thing and like throwing it and kicking it around. <laughs> like there's something going on with my life, and um, Saturday, we went to go swim in the pool, me and my wife and the boys, and um, there was a pool skimmer going through my brother's pool, and it's a rather large pool, and so it had pieces that connected the hose from one section to another, and I ran, and I jumped, and I dove in, and as I was diving in, the skimmer was going around the side of the pool, and it hit the wall, and it abruptly turned into the middle of the pool. And when I jumped in, the hose was coming up out, and I hit my head on the hose, split my head open, blood's going everywhere, my kids are freaking out, my mom's freaking out, 
and she rushes over to me and throws a big bath towel on top of my head. And I've been putting all kinds of scar cream and stuff on here because I didn't want to like an idiot up here preaching today. But I split my head in the middle. And so that was Saturday. I got, I got through that thing. And then Sunday, they get in the pool again. And they're like, hey, you want to get in again? I'm like, nope, I'm done with the pool. You know, like <laughs> that was strike one for me. You know, the emus had strike one on the Roy in Australia. That was strike one for me. Uh, and then Noah gets out of the pool about 6.30, and he says, Dad, I want to go get some fireworks. It's 4th of July. I'm like, okay, buddy, let's go get some. And he wanted to buy this rocket, and um, we got this rocket. It was like 3 or $4. It's not a big rocket. I want, to, I want to give context to that. It's just a little rocket, and he wanted to buy one for him and one for Nathaniel. And uh, Noah went to light his rocket, and uh, when he did, everything went well, you know, no problems, no issues. And then we go to light Nathaniel's rocket. And Nathaniel got scared. He didn't want to light his. And so he's like, you know, you or Noah can do it. And Noah's like, you do it, Dad. And I didn't notice that one of the legs on the rocket was a little bent. And again, it was a small rocket. And if it wasn't been a small rocket, I would not have done this. But I lit it, and I turned my back to it. And I, I walked away this direction. And I hear, pew, and then, boom. <laughs> And everybody's screaming, and this rocket hit me in the back, and then went from my back to my ribs, to, and I had a long street, I had the Vibrant Family shirt on, and it, it went from here to there, caught on fire, and burned my arm right there. So yeah, that was Saturday, that was Sunday. So your boy has enough time trying to get through life. I don't need God opposing me too. So it's in my best interest to try to be humble. I don't always get it right, but it's in my best interest. And I want to let you know it's in your best interest too. It is in your best interest too. Galatians 6 and 3 says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he only deceives himself. I want to give you four things that I think can help you stop dealing with this pride thing. And I would really love for you to write all these things down. Number one, stop setting impossible standards in your life. Stop setting impossible standards. Um, I heard George W. B., uh, George w. Bush have a speech recently um, at Yale. Uh, obviously, that speech was a long time ago, but I heard some some audio from it recently, and I love what he said. He, he began his opening remarks, and he said, I want to commend all of you graduates today for co um, completing this and doing so well. And uh, he said, but to my C students, my C students, and the crowd started to laugh, and then they began to cheer. And so he, he took a moment to uh, stop and, and let them calm down. He said, uh, to my C students, I want to say to you, you too can become president. <laughs> and uh, so I just want to let you know, you don't have to get straight A's in life. A C student is still going to get a diploma, okay? I am that C student. Like, <laughs> I still graduated. They still handed me that thing, okay? I was not on honor roll. But uh, I, I want to just tell you, like, it's okay to be proud of certain things in your life, and it's okay to try to do your best, but if your best isn't perfect, that's okay too. Yeah. I heard a statement recently, and I love this, done is better than perfect. For 
Done is better than perfect. Some of you obsess so much on getting things perfect or the timing being right or everything being right that you procrastinate and you won't do something that you could have done because it has to be perfect. I don't know if I'm preaching to somebody, but I feel like I am. I feel like that was a, deserved an amen. Um, done is better than perfect. Number two, stop being so hard on yourself. Carmen, I stole this from something you shared recently, and I loved it. If being hard on yourself worked, it would have worked already. If being hard on yourself worked, it would have worked already. I am so guilty of this, man. I am so critical of myself. I am so hard on myself, and I'll talk myself out of doing things or saying things or following things because I'm beating myself up. And it's pride, y'all. It's not trusting it's God. And it's not depending on God. It's, it's not asking other people for help. John 3, 30 and 31 says this. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Stop being hard on yourself. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are on the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and he is greater than anyone else. I don't have to be everything because God's everything. I need to depend on him. I need to trust on him. I need to lean into him. Stop being so hard on yourself. Number three, stop doing life alone. Stop doing life alone. Ask for advice, help, and let the wisdom of others guide you. You can skip so much pain in your life if you would just listen to the wisdom of people that have already messed up. Can I get an amen from parents in the house? I don't know what it is, but man, I thought my mom and dad were idiots, you know, until I was about 25. And then I woke up one day and I'm like, wow, these people are really smart. <laughs> Anybody ever experienced that? I want to let you know, students, I want to speak to you right now. Like your mom and dad, they're like the farmer's commercial. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. If they tell you something, you might want to listen to them. Like unless your mom's a crackhead and your dad's in jail, maybe you want to listen to what they have to say. <laughs> okay? And if your mom is a crackhead and your dad's in jail, I'm sorry. That was not directed at them. I love you. That God can do a work in them. Um, and maybe if they tell you don't do crack, listen to them, you know? So just a friendly piece of advice there. Uh, Pastor Michael's not gonna let me preach again. So uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Man, you cannot do life alone and succeed. You can't. You can do it for a little while and succeed, but you can't do it for a long time and succeed. And I just want to say here, this is a shameless, guilty plug for life groups. Life groups are coming up in the fall semester, and I want everybody in this church to be in a life group in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I want everyone to be in one. You cannot do life alone and succeed. You cannot do it. And maybe you have maybe a little prideful attitude and a little selfish attitude right now. And I'm just going to step on your toes and, and, and maybe make you mad. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't, I don't see a life group for me. Okay, then start one for you. 
That's just me pastoring you right now. That's me kind of challenging you. And you say, well, there's nothing for me or nobody's doing one for me. Okay, maybe stop thinking about yourself and think of others as Philippians says and do something for somebody else and see how you can serve them and see how you can serve their interests and see how you can lift them up and how you can encourage them and stop making it about yourself. Everything is not about you. Everything is not about you. And we all need to learn that. We, we make everything about us, people, what they say, what they post, what they, what they do. We, we internalize it and we make it about us. And that's where that insecurity issue of pride comes into play. The fourth and the last thing that I want to tell you is stop faking it. Stop faking it. I don't know about you, but I hate I hate the phrase, fake it till you make it. I hate that phrase. I know that there could be some positive connotation that comes through that. And and maybe you're having a tough time and you just got to, you know, get through it. But for the most part, I just, I really hate that phrase. Because I don't even think it's biblical, that phrase. James 5 and 16 tells us this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That doesn't sound like fake it till you make it to me. That sounds like I need to talk to somebody else so I can get through this, so I can make it. Because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. You faking it is not going to produce wonderful results. You stopping faking it and going to people. I love what Pastor Michael, he says all the time. He said, we go to God to forgiveness, but we go to his people for healing. We need each other for healing. So stop faking it. I got one last thing that I want to share with you, and I'm coming to a close. And it's a story about my son, Noah. He, uh, he really got into Legos pretty early on in life. And uh, he used to love to save his money or he used to beg us to go buy him one every single time we went to the store. And he's 11 now. He's about to be 12. I'm so proud of that dude. And, but about the time he was Nathaniel's age, Nathaniel's five now, that's really when he got into Legos. And he would go and buy Legos and He would be so excited about the Lego that he picked out. He wanted to come home and put it together, and he wanted to do it all on his own. You know, he had pride about that. I don't don't think he was being prideful. He He was just proud that, Dad, I can do this. I can put it together. I can do it on my own. But unfortunately, this scenario would always play out. He'd come home. He'd unwrap it. He'd get all the pieces out. He'd get the instructions, and he'd get going, and he'd reach a certain point that was beyond his expertise as a Lego builder. It was beyond his experience, it was beyond his cognitive ability to figure it out. And I could hear him all the time when this would happen, because it happened quite a bit. He'd start getting frustrated. I'd hear the instructions rustle and I'd hear the Legos fall all over the place. And that would continue. And, And finally, I would hear him do what he always do and that would be give up and he would cry and he would smash the lego and he'd be sitting 
in the floor of his room and he'd be crying. And you know that little kid cry where you can barely speak through your crying? <laughs> you know, you're like muttering. I go in there and I'm like, what's going on, buddy? I can't get it together, dad. And he'd be so mad and I would try not to laugh because it was so cute. And I would say, baby, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you call daddy? I could have helped you put the pieces together. I could have showed you the instructions. You, you do it this way and that way. And I feel like a lot of us have an attitude problem and we have a pride problem and we have Legos in our lives and we get to putting them together and, and, and maybe we get to a certain point and this piece doesn't quite fit. And that piece doesn't quite go the way we thought it would go. And we don't understand the instructions. And we're sitting in the middle of our mess and we're going, God, I can't figure this out. What's going on? Why doesn't it work? Why didn't it go together? Why can't I understand? Why, why can't I get this? And we just stop and stay there in our mess because of pride. And we don't either ask God for help or we don't ask people for help. I wanna invite you to stand and maybe there's something that I said today that struck a nerve with you. Maybe you're here today and you've lived your life your way and you wanna turn your life over to God. I wanna encourage you to do that today. Maybe you're here today and, and you're prideful and you didn't even know it. And there was something I said, we're like, Ugh, I'm struggling with that. I'm dealing with that. I want you to just bow your head with me right now. And I want us to pray collectively. Whether you're a new believer and you just need to say this prayer, you just need to say, God, I need you. I need you, God, for the first time in my life, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Maybe you just want to publicly acknowledge that today and make that step. If that's you, I wish you would pray that prayer today and just say, I need you, God. Maybe you've been in this for a little bit. Maybe you've been coming to church and you've been following Christ and you realize, man, there's an area where I'm very prideful and I need you, God. I need your help. I need your help in this situation, no matter how small or big or in between. God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I wish you would pray that today. As they begin to sing and play, I wish you would just take a moment and lift your hands and just talk to God and tell him how much you need him today. Just humble yourself and say, I need you. Because 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I just want to ask you, why don't you just humble yourself today and ask God, tell God, I need you in this situation, in this thing.